Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. For more information about Abbott Loop, visit abbottloop.org. Uh, last week, Pastor Josh uh, spoke about the name above every name. And what basically, just a nutshell of that, he talked about that in the sense of because he is the name above every name, that he's the only one that actually holds the power to bring change into our lives and transformation in what we need in our lives. Not always what we want, but actually what we need. And uh, so I just want to uh, kind of piggyback off of that a little bit, you know, being him being the name above every name. How many of you know, how many of you have ever had an experience with God, kind of like a mountaintop experience with him? Maybe just coming to Christ for the first time, or maybe just a moment with God, or a healing that happened in your life. And those are just wonderful moments that we get with God, because he is the name above every name. But how many of you know God doesn't want to keep us there? He doesn't want to keep us on the mountaintops. I don't, and he doesn't design us to live just on the mountaintops. I think he gives us those things, kind of like just presence, because he wants, he's, bring, he's, he's going like this. I want you to come with me. I want you to journey with me. And he's saying, I just don't want you to live there. I want, I want to be able to give you power to live up there and in the valley together. And he's ushering. I want to talk a little bit about that journey, but before I give you the title of my message, I just want to cue us up with a couple verses uh, to kind of get us going in the right direction. And the first one is in Romans 8, 11, and it says this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Isn't that great news? That God doesn't leave us. He wants to put himself in us. And he wants to do something in us, and he's about life. It says he will give you life. He wants to come in you, work in you, and work out of you to a world that needs him. And piggybacking off of that in Romans 12 too, because we have the Spirit, then do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. We look at this, we see God, he gives us a compass inside And he says, I'm issuing you uh, uh, an opportunity to walk with me, not be conformed to the world and walk that way, but to walk this way with me and be transformed. And that's another word is metamorphosis, growing, walking. God is saying, I want you to walk with me in such a way that you're able to discern my will. And And you're able to discern what is good and evil. You're able to discern that God is sharpening us in that process. That's why we don't want to live on the mountaintops all the time, even though we love those opportunities right? But he gives us a spirit so we can walk with him in new ways that he wants us. So today I want to talk about in the topic, um, posturing for growth in Christ. Posturing for growth in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that your spirit is willing and that, you know, our flesh is weak. And we thank you, God, that you give us the power that we need in our weakness, that we don't need to exert our own power, but we need to rely on yours. And we thank you for your word that it's living and it's active. It's not dead. It's not passive. It's something that comes inside of us to change us and to move us into new territory for you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been stuck asking the question, why? Ever asked that? Are you sure? Well, I, I found some ponderables that kind of play into this question called why. They're a little bit funny, they're a little bit quirky, but take a look at this first question here. For example, why is the man who invests all your money called a broker? Yeah? <laughs> um, how about this one? Why do they call them apartments when they're all stuck together? 
Yeah, interesting, right? Okay, if people from Poland are called Poles, then why aren't people from Holland called Holes? That's just stupid. That's just dumb. How about this one? Why aren't there mirrors in the self-checkout aisle? Uh, number five, um, why do the signs say, that say slow children have a picture of a running child? So these are like just things about why, why. We ask these questions, and, they, and, they, and they're kind of intriguing. And if you're a parent, you know that, because your kids are always saying, why, why, why? But if we're honest with ourselves, we actually do that ourselves, right? We, we find ourselves asking why all the time as well. Why is that? Well, if you look at it, it's, it's really part of God's wiring for us. It's, it's a tenet of biology. And there's this guy, his name is Simon Sinek, and he wrote this book called Start With Why. And here's what he says, actually, about why. He says, the concept of why exists in the part of the brain that controls all of our behavior and all of our feelings like love, etc. But it doesn't control the language, which is why it's hard to put it into words, and this is why we default to feelings. So this is why we say things like, I just love Apple products. Sorry, droid people. Or uh, we say, I choose doTERRA living oils over young living oils. Now, I just probably started a fight in church because you got these. How many of you like young living? Raise your hand. Okay, how many do doTERRA? Okay. Now, we know that Jesus actually received the oils from young living when he was born because he got frankincense from them. So I'm just kidding. I, I don't even use them. So, um, But we know Jesus understood this concept of why because the first thing he did when he came on the scene was he explained his why. In Luke 4, Verse 18 and 19, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And everywhere Jesus went after that, he, he demonstrated that why. He went and healed people. He went and he set the lame, he set the captives free, healed the blind he did good works, and he showed any dense. And the reason why that his why was so important and, va and, and valuable to us was because it was inextricably linked to our human condition, body, soul, and spirit. Now, if you and I have a problem, it's in one of those areas. It's either in our body or in our soul or it's in our spirit. And some of you maybe were here for the first time last week and received Christ for the first time, and you understood God's why in your spirit because your spirit got reborn. And... But maybe you've been around the Christian circles in a while. You've been living your life. Maybe you feel like you've plateaued a little bit. Maybe you've run into some bumps in the road. Maybe some things have happened. You maybe find yourself going, why? Why? We kind of think, and when that happens, here's what happens. We begin to isolate ourselves off, and we feel, man, I've been a Christian for a long time. I shouldn't be struggling with this. And we kind of go off into a cavern of our souls, and we go, why, God? And we feel like kind of in an exile. In our, in our own little land, alone by ourselves, and we don't want to share it because we're maybe a little bit ashamed or we don't want to share with somebody else. But you know what? Maybe you've asked questions like this. Why did my spouse leave me? Or why am I not healed right now? Or why did I lose my job? Why can't I get a job? Why do my friends reject me? What you, we, feel, we ask these questions, these why questions. I, want, I just want to say that it's okay if you're in that space. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
it's okay. But this why, because he's wired us this way, means something. It means that he's a lot, it's a seeking term. Why? Why? And if you allow your why to lead to the author and perfecter of your faith, your why will lead to who, who can actually heal, keep you and hold you in the middle of your why. And so it's okay that, we're, that, we're, that you might be in that space. You know, my favorite verse in the Bible has always been Jeremiah 29, 11. What does it say? For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope, plans to give you a future, not to harm you, but for good. And when I look at that, we, you know, that's, that's one of the verses that, you, oh, that's a great greeting card, you know, or it's good on your coffee cup, you know, or even if you, uh, anybody Instagram here, any Instagrammers? Around the house. Okay, you might even take it to the next level and go, and you're having your devotions, open up your Bible, you have a nice steamy cup of coffee, you take a picture of your Bible, hashtag, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And we go, yes, and it's yummy and it's amazing, and yes. But if I'm honest and you're honest, we know that our lives don't feel like it matches that all the time, right? But when you look at when Jesus, God put this in the Bible in Jeremiah 29, we see that he wasn't speaking into a land of bubblegum and unicorns and happy talk. You look at the beginning of Jeremiah 29, we see that God, or um, the, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, exiled some priests and prophets and elders of Jerusalem into Babylon for 70 years. Do you think they were asking God why? They were asking God, and they, do you think they even knew that God, God, do you know what's going on? Oh, yeah, he knew. He even allowed it. He didn't stop it for a season. He allowed it to happen. But if you look at what, how God, what God does in those seasons, we can see what he's actually going for. Because when he begins to step into the situation, I want you to look at what he says here. When he begins to step in, I want you to look at how many times he says, I and me. Let me read this. Jeremiah 29, 10, when God begins to step in, he says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. What is he saying here? See, God didn't give them the answers to all the questions that they had. Not because he didn't love them, because he knew the life was not found that they needed. The life that they needed was not found in the answers to those questions. It was found. He was bringing them to an eye-to-eye relationship, saying, when you seek me, you will find me based on the fact that you seek me with everything you have your heart. And this is what God is doing. And why is God doing this? What is God trying to do in this situation? God was bringing them to a place of authentic encounter with him that wasn't just a mountaintop experience or a valley experience, but it was a lifestyle lived of growth, of walk. He was issuing them, ushering them into a growth process with them. And that's why what, what, I, what I want to talk about today is posturing for growth in Christ. And what does it look like when God leads us and why is it important to grow in Christ? And what does this look like? I mean, we all know that 
it's, uh, uh, growth is important, but there um, is kind of um, one common denominator that determines all growth because we're all at different parts of this continuum in growth. But here's one thing. The common denominator, it says it on here, it says that all growth requires a tearing down in order to build back up. You know, we know that. If you, if you guys weight lift, you guys are pumping iron, you got your muscles going, you're tearing down muscle to build new fiber up. That's why I'm so buff. <laughs> it's not that funny. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's a law of life. Growth is a law of life. So I want to talk about posturing for growth. Look at birds, for example. You know, has a, ba- a mama has some babies. They hatch. They hatch. They're eating. They're wanting food. And the mom's feeding them. Mom's feeding them. It's a great old time. They're good old time. And they're growing. And then at some point, the mama begins to initiate change and begins to rustle the nest. Begins, even what they pulls out certain things so that sticks start poking into the kids. This is child abuse? Uh, uh, no. But making them feel uncomfortable. And what is she doing? She's preparing them. She's rustling the nest, preparing them for something new. And then at some point when, they're, when she feels like they're ready, she's already prepared them, getting them ready, and they're having to kind of start working. And all of a sudden she goes, like that. Or maybe it was her wing or something. I don't know how they do that. And all of a sudden they're like, whoa, here they go. And all of a sudden the baby's flying and the baby is having to actually flex new muscle, get new muscle, and to start to, so that baby could grow. So that baby could do something and be productive in life and fly like a bird flies. I don't know what they're productive, what they do in life to make it productive, but it's awesome. And uh, so the same is true with us. God postures us and rustles our nests. How does he do this? Well, I want to give us four things, and each thing will lead into the other, and I'll show you this. And the first posture is this. Allow God. The word is transition. Allow God to transition you from a man dependency to a maker dependency. We've all heard of the account of Moses when he went in, when the people of Israel were enslaved to Egypt. And he goes out and he saves them out and he begins to initiate a new process and brings them out. And how many know when they, they, they got saved out of Egypt, but they still had Egypt in them? And so God began, he knew their frame and he knew that. So what did he do? He began to move them out. 430 years of enslavement. They've been dependent upon Pharaoh's resources. They had some habits that they were dependent upon. And God begins to move them out and transition them. And what he's trying to do is he's transitioning them from one ruler to a new ruler himself. And he's beginning to show them that their new independence is linked to their dependence on a new king. And they had some learning to do. So look, at, look at how he does this. Look at it, Exodus 13, verse 17. He says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. So that, that was a shortcut. Right? For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So he led them by the Red Sea. You look at this movement of God. You know, God, be, he could have actually led them the shortcut. And in my mind, I'd be like, why not take the shortcut? Why are we going to the Red Sea where we're going to get trapped? But you see, God knew their frame. 
And so what did he say? Out of his mercy, it looked in their minds that it was actually a bad thing that God was doing. But it was actually a good thing because he knew their frame. But what was he doing? He was actually, they, they would have to have faced war if they went to the Philistines. But he knew they couldn't handle it, and he knew what they would have done. They would have de- reverted back to their old dependencies and said, forget it. I'm going back to Egypt where I can get, be safe. I'm just going to give up. But you see, God is transitioning them from a man to a maker dependency. That's what God is doing, and this is what God does with us. Look at what, look, let's look further at how he does this. Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22, and he says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. When you look at this, when God began to lead them, the first thing he did was he gave them himself. He, even in the Old Testament, this pillar of fire and p- pillar of cloud is a representation of the Holy Spirit. Remember in the first verse I read, if the Spirit is in you, that God gives us his Spirit to lead us and to transition us and to move us and to conform us into where he wants to take us. And so here they are, and God was saying, your new dependency is not rooted in the past. Whatever misgivings you might have, whatever difficulties you might have, they're not rooted in the past. They're rooted in me, and I'm going this way. And then the biggest miracle happens. The Red Sea. Mountaintop. They get through the Red Sea on dry land. They get on dry land. Here comes the bad guys, and they see God go, and they have this big celebration. They say that they had this, the, the song of Miriam, they said. They started having this big celebration. Yeah, we won. God did it for us. Mountaintop. And then dinner rolls around. And then they start going, where are we going to eat? They, and then they start grumbling. They, they start going, you know, if we were back there, we would be having our fill right now our dependency. We would be having our fill around these pots of stew. But, so what was God doing? God was moving their focus from a man to a maker dependency. And what was he doing? He was tearing down the old muscle of dependency so he could build up a new muscle of dependency on him. That's where strength comes from. And so, that moves us when, we, when God begins to transition us. He transitions, gets us into a place to trust him. And then he moves us into the next posture. And this next posture is what, falls in, what it falls into next. And that is this. Allow God to teach you to remain in him. That's what he was teaching the people of God. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Isn't this interesting? Jesus right off the bat says, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the source, you are not. Very clear. But when I look at that in the American culture, I go, I got stuff to do. I, I got, I, we, have, we are such a productive society, right? We're doing and doing and doing and workaholic and go. And a lot of that's really good, but here's, what's, here's the thing. I look at that and I'm like, you know, and then we have these things called devices, you know, and we're like this, and we're going, oh, we can get so much done. We all look like squirrels with acorns, and, and we're just going after it, and we're getting stuff done. 
And, but here's the thing. And then Jesus is saying, remain in me. And I go, wow, I feel so powerless. I got stuff to do. But where's the power in remaining? Where is the power? I don't have the slides for this, the verses for this, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a perfect example. We, many of us know this story. But Shadrach, Meshach, uh, and Abednego were under King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar issued this order that, that they were going to declare a new dependency on a new ruler. And he said, I, everybody is to bow before this golden idol. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't. King gets mad. Brings him in. Get in here. I'm going to give you one more chance, he says, to bow down. They don't. He gets even more ticked off. He turns the furnace up seven times greater. And then here's what he says. He says, now what power, now what God will be able to rescue you from my power? He said, let me fill this in. Now what God, or source, dependency, will be able to rescue you from my power? Here's their response. They say this. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. You see, when we get defensive, we're in our own strength. And they knew where their strength came from. And they were dependent on that. They were abiding and remaining in him. And then they go on. This is what they say. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Here they are. They are about to face the decimation of their complete lives, and they're standing in boldness and say, I will not bow. They were in a time of testing. When you're in a time of testing, never despise those times because God wants to teach us to remain in him because where is the power in remaining in that weak time when we feel so weak? Well, look what happened. He throws them into the furnace. Three of them in there. He peers in and goes, didn't I throw three people in there? Yeah, they said. I see four. Get them out of here. Gets them out. Not even a smell of smoke on them. Comes out, and they're saved. What happened here? It did two things. Their remaining garnered two things. First, it garnered the attention and protection of God Almighty. When you're in the middle of it, God wants to protect you. Stay in it in faith. Don't pull out. Stay in it. The second thing it did was this. It garnered the attention of King Nebuchadnezzar. You see, when we remain in him, here's what happens. We give ourselves the opportunity to go, that's my king. That's my king. But if we remain in ourselves and we remain in our own strength, our own self-defensiveness, our own thing, then we don't have any opportunity to see God come through in that situation. And we don't give the opportunity for people to see what God can do. There's purpose in our pain. There's purpose in that. So God is teaching us to remain in him. And as he teaches us and moves us in to remain in him, and as we stay, he does the next posture. And that is this, allow God to tune you in the secret place. Allow God to tune you in the secret place. I'm a musician. I have my guitar up here on, on the platform here. And so um, everybody knows if you're a guitar player uh, that the first thing you do before you play a song is you have to tune 
each string. Each string has a certain frequency. You've got to get it. If you play without it being in tune, people don't like hearing the message. It's, it's really difficult to hear, right? Let me just take this a little bit further, this analogy, what I'm trying to say. Let's imagine this. Imagine that the whole guitar here, the body of the guitar, is the body of Christ. Each individual string is each member in the body of Christ. Okay? And the player represents the Holy Spirit desiring to play in and through you. To play in and through you. Now, how many of you know God has more for you? More for our church? Well, how do we experience that? When we're remaining in him, many times, those are the times where God wants to use that opportunity to begin to tune. You know, and now, does that mean that God never uses us? Am I saying that? That God doesn't use it if we're a little out of tune? No, it's God's mercy and grace that we can actually even be here today. But God is issuing us an opportunity to continue to grow in him. So how does this process happen? Well, God begins to allow some tension. Sometimes it's engineered by him. Sometimes this is a circumstance that he never, but what did the Bible say? That he can use all things, all things. And what, is, what does he do? He begins to take his proverbial hands, put them on your tuning peg, and begin to tune. Tune. He's using it for his good. Using it for his good. He begins to tune us up. And this is the part where we go, tap out. I don't want to go there, God. I don't want to go into that place where that person hurt me. I don't want to go into that place of shame. I don't want to go in that place of rejection. But out of God's mercy... He begins to tune us to him. And we begin to see. Here, here's what's so cool about, about, about this opportunity here. You know, first of all, when you're in the secret place, do you know why they call it the secret place? Because that's where he shares the secrets with you. And we get an opportunity to go behind the curtain of the kingdom, and he shares his secrets with us. If we remain and let him tune us. Some great things happen in that place. But here's what I think. I think there's actually a greater blessing at stake if we resist the tuning of God. Because God is bringing us in alignment to the tuning fork of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if we resist that, well, we don't lose our salvation. No, nothing like that. It's just that we don't get to experience the blessing that God has for us. Right? So what happens? I think the greater blessing at stake is this, is that when we begin to allow the tuning process of God in our lives, all of a sudden we begin to see some things happen. We begin to see how our string in the body of Christ begins to play in the whole symphony that God is developing. You get to see your part. But also, you get to see how your string plays into the preservation and integrity of the entire body of Christ. Our obedience to God to move in righteousness towards him, to move in holiness towards him, to go where he's going because he's going like this. When we do that, our obedience is no longer just for me. You know when self-righteousness kind of settles in? Is when I kind of go, you know, my part's pretty cool, better than yours. My liver is better than the heart. We start thinking these things possibly and self you think we're kind of better. When the reality is this, is that the liver needs the heart and the heart needs the liver. And we are all one body. That's why Paul said this in 
Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that, brings to your, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. God is in the process. And when we say things like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, we got to ask ourselves, what is it in heaven that needs to come down? Because it says in heaven that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in complete unity. And he is saying here that I have a responsibility to keep that or to break it. I have a responsibility. And we begin to see when we allow that unity to start happening, that tuning process, we actually see that he's not tuning me over into this one little special space in the kingdom of God. No, he's tuning me to something different. What is he tuning me to? It says humility, gentleness, patience, the fruit of the Spirit, which is the unity. When we are working to that place, God is tuning us to the body of Christ. And that's what leads us to our fourth posture. Our fourth posture pings off of this last one because I've been already talking about it. It's an us thing. The fourth posture is this. Allow God to train us as a community for a new anointing. Allow God to train us as a community for a new anointing. You know, I have a picture in my mind when I think of this guitar and I think I, I see all the um, when God is looking down upon us and he's seeing the harmony between brother and sister, all the saints, and they're working things out and they're going into this together and they're willing to work things out. All of a sudden the Holy Spirit goes, wow, look at that harmony. Look at that harmony. Look at that. And the Holy Spirit I can see with his pick in his hand. And he's going, look at this. This is awesome. And he begins, I'm going to begin to play through this harmony because it's going to sound awesome. And we call that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's just a fancy term for God shows up because we're working together in unity. It reminds me of that verse in Matthew 9, 17, the wineskin analogy. Maybe you've heard this before. It says this, Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. What do we see here? First of all, in this passage, we see that God has something new. He talks about new wine. God has something new for us. The second thing we see in his activity is that he's withholding that. He's withholding it to a certain degree. Because why? Because it says that the flask, the wineskin, is crusty. It's old. It's, it can't contain as much. It can't contain the full outpouring. It maybe can f- contain some of it, but it can't contain all that I have for it. So what, is it, what do we need to do? Well, the question is, then what is required? Something needs to change. So how did they do that back then? What they did was, they, something had to die in order for a new wineskin. What they did was they would go and kill an animal. And that animal would get killed, and they would take the animal skin and stretch it up and form it into a new flask because the skin was pliable and fresh and easy to use. And they would put it into a flask, and then they would take this new wine and pour it in to it. 
and they, you could see that it would actually contain more than it actually looked like it contained. Why? Because it would expand. It could contain more. You see, when we think about us, you know, when we are one to experience and walk in greater fullness of God, what is God having for us? Something in us needs to die. You know, I, I, uh, I look at the Apostle Paul, and he said, I die daily. I go, really? The Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He had the most influence out of any apostle ever. He said, I die daily. You know, but I think he knew something. I think he knew that it wasn't about him. I think he knew that it wasn't about his persuasiveness. I think he knew that it wasn't about his gifting. I think he knew there was a strength that he needed because in the secret place, he said, my power is made perfect in weakness and a thorn in his flesh. And he learned in the secret place when God was tuning him where power actually comes from and why it's important because he began to move with God and he said, I die daily. And I move with him because he's going to have an effect. Look at the effect that he had in his world and, and, to, and even up to today. You see, but how does God do this? How does, he begins to, in our lives, how does that dying process happen? He begins to surface old habits, old dependencies, old cracked and crusty sins, misgivings, unforgiveness, different things in our lives. God begins to surface those things and we kind of go, I'm tapping out, God. I don't want to go there. But he be out of his faithfulness, he tunes you in the secret place. And when he does that, he's tuning the wineskin of your soul. And when he does that, let him do that. Because he wants to bring healing into those spaces, healing into those places. And as you do that, when that healing happens, then he begins to bring even more of his new wine, more of his new wine into the wineskin of this fresh, pliable soul. And then you go, I had no idea. I had no idea I could do that with God. This is such a great ride with the Lord. He's so good. But it, we have to be willing to go through that. And it's His grace that we find in those times. At this point, you might be going, wow, Mike, you're making it kind of sound like it's all up to us to do all this stuff. Is it all dependent upon me? Well, it might sound like that, maybe, but it really goes back to the first point of where our dependency lies. You know, the question is, who is the greatest example of ushering in a brand new wineskin into our world? Now, Jesus was the ultimate example. You know, when you ask, what was the greatest leading of God in Jesus' life? You know, you might say, well, it was his miracles. Or maybe his prophecy, boy, he could just read your mail. Maybe it was his healing, just touch you and boom, healing. But when we look at the greatest leading of God in Jesus, Jesus' life, we've got to look at his life. When he came, like I said at the beginning, when he came into this world, he knew why he came. He said, I came as a, to be a ransom, to give my life. Now fast forward three years after he said that. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he's crucified. He's sweating blood. And he says, 
Is there any other way? Is there any other way? Take this cup from me. He was under the full tuning process of God the Father. Even Jesus had to go through it. Even Jesus went through it. You see, what was the greatest leading of God in Jesus' life? It was the thing that tore him down. It was his obedience to the cross, death on a cross. Why? Because we have the old covenant, old wineskin, fullness of time. Jesus comes. He says, I'm going to give my life. He went all the way through it. He died. He was the lamb that was slain before the world. And Jesus, God, then was able to take the Savior's skin, the lamb skin of life, and stretch it all into a new covenant. And now we have this new covenant, a new wineskin, where God can pour His Holy Spirit into 2017. It goes back to the fact that Jesus did it for us. We're dependent upon the fact that He gave Himself, made a new wineskin. We can pour His Holy Spirit into that. And now I can say, my Savior did it for me. I can carry my cross, and I can grow in Him. That's the kind of God we have. That's the Jesus I know. And that's the Jesus many of you know. Jesus was the muscle that was torn down so that you and I could be built back up. So why is this so important? Why is this so important? I'm just going to read this. Because God is developing a people for Him and His anointing. Not just a person, but a people. And you and I, as Christ's unified growing body, now become the picture of hope to a dying world around us. There's this verse in Psalm 133 where it says, How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It is like the oil on Aaron's head that begins to drift. This picture of Aaron's head is a foreshadowing of Jesus being the head of his church. And when the anointing begins to come on the new wineskin, new covenant, it begins to fall down, not on just one body part or two body parts, but the whole body, it says in one, Psalm 133. And it begins to, that oil is an example of the Holy Spirit. It brings healing, it brings power, anointing. God is in it. And it begins to flow all the way down through us. But here's where it begins really cool. It becomes really cool. It says it drips all the way to the ground. And it hits the ground. And it says it's like the dew of Mount Zion. That's a picture of fresh, new, new water, new land. Hearts that do not know Christ. Hearts that God wants to be with us. That God is calling a people. He's calling us together. That's why it's so important. Because when they begin to see this kind of thing happening, where we're working, we're growing together in unity, we're moving together, the Holy Spirit begins to just anoint us. It's not just for mountaintop experiences. It's to go down in the valley. That's why we need to be here together because we can be together with one another when we're in the valley. Because if I know you on the mountaintop, I can know you in the valley. And I can know the same Spirit is willing to bring you out of that. But it requires us, not just the Holy Spirit, us to do it together with Him. That's why there's no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. I've never seen that in the Bible. 
So God says this, that you are plan A. I am plan A. There's no plan B. You are plan A. God wants to use each and every one of you in the kingdom of God. Never despise those difficult moments in your life because God wants you to remain in Him, be tuned to the Holy Spirit, and allow Him to develop a new anointing for a community of people. You might say, well, that sounds really awesome and everything. Um, but I feel like I'm still in my exile. That's reality. I want to encourage you, let your obedience live beyond you like Paul did. Let it live beyond you. Let it live into your kids. Let it live into your family. Let it live into your workplace, into your church, when you're volunteering in the church. Let it live past you, even if you don't feel it, because God is watching and he cares about his people and those that are not here yet. I see empty seats. Those are lives that need to know him. So I just want to encourage us in that. Let's bow our heads. I just want to ask two questions. First of all, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? The most important part is this time, our response to Him. And as you're thinking about that, I just want to say this, is if there's anybody here who has never stepped into and received that free gift from God and walked in a relationship with Him for the first time, we want to give you an opportunity for that. We're not going to make you feel weird or have you come up on the platform or anything like that. But if you want to receive Jesus for the first time and just say, God, I'm tired of this old life. I want to step into a new place with you. I want to know you. Is there anybody here like that? Just pop your hand up if so. Also, if there's anybody here who's just like, you know, I've been kind of plateauing. I've been kind of just stuck. I need to just walk in a new freshness with God and step into Him in a new way. If that's you today, just pop your hand up. I just want to pray. Father, we just pray for those people today that have raised their hand. We thank you, God, for their just their honesty to just say, you know, I'm, I'm just at a place where I need... I need something different. Lord, and they're just acknowledging to you that they want to walk in a, walk away from something old and go into something new. I pray that you would reveal to them your power and your strength in this time, that you would reveal to them what they need to do, what their next steps are, where you're wanting to take them. So God, I pray that over them right now, that you would speak to them, that your spirit would rest on them and in them, that you would give them next steps, Father. We thank you, God. We thank you that you're faithful to your people. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.